God, we thank you that even though we are so imperfect, that you love us through it all. God, I just pray that we would just be that clay and that you could mold us, Lord. Um, I just pray that the things that we're asking for in prayer, that we're asking of you to intervene in our lives, that, God, you would show us what we can do to pour into others, Lord God, that we wouldn't just sit and wait, that we would just sit and ask, hey, what do you want me to do, God? Lord, we are just here, ready for you to mold, to use. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and direct our paths, Lord God, and just help us to have no fear, just to fearlessly follow you and accomplish your will. We trust you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Uh, before, right before we pray for our tithes and offerings, I um, just want to remind everybody that the baskets are at the table back there since we're not having the ushers go around. And um, for those people at home, uh, just because you can't give in person, um, you can always go to the website, or even for the people here, you can always go to the website under the giving tab, um, and you can do your offering there, and you can make it reoccurring so you don't forget. Uh, that's what I do because I'm terrible with remembering that stuff. So um, just want to make sure everybody knows that. So... Um, if you want to and you're, and you're not able to do it in person or you're not uh, uh, putting money back there to, uh, in the trade today, please use the tab for that on the website and you can give there. Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for another Sunday being able to gather in your house. Lord, we ask that you will bless these tithes and offerings, Father, that it will be used for, for your will, Lord, that we will honor what you want us to do with that and Lord, that it will build up our church so we can reach out to our community and do your work. Father God, thank you so much, and we look forward to Pastor Matt's service and going about our week, uh, showing your love to everyone around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Joe. And if you weren't here last week, Joe, uh, we had a little Sarah. Kind of a ceremony, uh, Joe was called uh, as an elder so in the church, so we'll give him a hand again for that. It was really exciting. Our children are off to their uh, class uh, with Miss Ann, so she's in the back, and they're heading off to learn. No hurry, girls, no hurry. No pressure. So we have the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and to introduce the book of Jeremiah, I have just a little song you may be familiar with, so let's play that song. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. I never understood a single word he said, All right, so how many of you have heard that song before? All right. Three Dog Night, though, couldn't have had it more wrong about Jeremiah. All right. Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. I'm going to tell you a little story I heard about a bullfrog. If you take a bullfrog and you put it in cold water and you slowly heat up the water, that bullfrog will stay in the water until it dies. It will just literally boil to death. And when you think about Jeremiah, you must know okay, that he was not like that at all. He was not going to allow 
Israel, Judah, the Jewish people, to just sit there. and go. He was going to speak up. And by the way, don't try that at home. I just need to say this, this disclaimer, okay, for insurance reasons. Do not boil a frog at home, okay? But don't ignore the warning signs like Israel did. Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. In fact, Jeremiah was a bullhorn, all right? He was a bullhorn, and I won't use this. I don't need it because I have my own microphone. But Jeremiah was a bullhorn. In fact, he said, one of my favorite verses in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he said, if I say, I will not talk about God, I will not mention God, I will not speak of him in his name, there is in my heart a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. I cannot. That was Jeremiah. He was truly a bullhorn. And uh, I wrote some lyrics for Three Dog Night. I thought maybe if they wanted to change them up a little bit for their song, maybe you'll like it. I don't know if they'll use them, but our title is Jeremiah Was a Bullhorn, and here's how it goes. Jeremiah was a a bullhorn, was a good friend to Israel. They never listened to a single word he said, so they went to the Babylon jail, and he would weep, lament, and wail. Singing trouble in the world, all the boys and girls now, trouble to those living by the Mediterranean Sea, trouble to you and me. That's all I got so far, all right? I don't know if that works or not. If you know the story of Jeremiah, you know a lot of that is, uh, goes with it. Jeremiah was a bullhorn. Jerusalem was in hot water, but they didn't listen to a word he said. They didn't. They didn't listen. And he preached for a long time. If you read Jeremiah, you know 52 chapters. How many of you read it this week? 52 chapters. It's a lot. And you had to read Lamentations, five chapters that he wrote as well. Depressing stuff. Right? I mean, a lot of the Old Testament, when they don't obey God, is depressing. God's people messed up again. They sinned against the Lord, and they are going to have to face the consequences. But this time, it's a little bit different. In fact, this time, it's the worst-case scenario. Because this time, their holy temple, the place where they go and meet God, that special place, is going to be destroyed in Jerusalem. And they didn't want to think about that. They didn't want to think that their nation was in serious trouble. They ignored the warning signs. The water was getting hotter and hotter and hotter, but they pretended like life is just okay. It's just going to go on as usual. But the truth is, it didn't go on as usual. In fact, the story plays out, okay, that they did go into captivity after Jerusalem was basically destroyed. The temple, done away with. All the sacred elements of the temple, gone. Stolen by the Babylonians. And and Jeremiah would weep for Jerusalem. He wept for God's people because they didn't listen to God. And he wrote about his weeping. right? It's called Lamentations. He wrote that. It's really five funeral messages, if you will. That's what Lamentations is. He's kind of known as the weeping prophet. But he's also a type of Jesus Christ. And what that means is, is that he foreshadowed the Messiah who is Jesus Christ. The similarities are remarkable. I will show them to you this morning. Jeremiah, though, his ministry for 40 years was basically, as people would look at it and say, totally unsuccessful. Totally unsuccessful. The people didn't change. They didn't listen to him. But thank God the story doesn't end there because he gives them hope. He says, after 70 years, it's a long time, but after 70 years, the temple 
would be rebuilt. Jerusalem would be rebuilt. And we see that in Nehemiah and Ezra. But perhaps the most well-known verse in Jeremiah, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it if you know your Bible at all, Jeremiah 29, 11. What does he say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Right? Plans for welfare, not for evil, but to give you a future and a hope. Today I want you to know if life feels a little bit messed up right now, if you're struggling, you're suffering, you're walking on eggshells because of this pandemic, you're living in fear, no matter what's going on in your life, I want you to know that God has plans for you. It's good plans. It's not evil plans. It's plans to encourage you, plans to give you hope. It's a plan full of blessings. But it doesn't just happen because you say you're a Christian. It happens when you seek God with all your heart. If you keep reading in Jeremiah 29, everybody loves verse 11, and we like this to, to, we hear Christians talk about that all the time. Well, God's got plans for me, plans to bless me, plans to give me hope. But guess what? Verse 13 tells us, if you look at it, all right, on the screen, it says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's a part that we have to play. And by the way, that sounds a lot like what Jesus said, as we'll see Jeremiah and Jesus go together. Let's pray. God, teach us this morning through your word. Father, I pray you'd use me as a vessel for your word, because I know, Lord, that not everyone will continuously read their Bible. I thank the Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you do have faithful Christians that do read and do study your word, so that we won't be like the nation of Israel. We won't be like the people that Jeremiah preached to. They didn't want to hear it. God, we live in a nation today that there are many who just don't want to hear it anymore. They want to do their own thing. But God, help us as the church. Speak truth. Help us use whatever platform we have, whether it be social media or simply our neighborhood, our workplace, whatever it is, help us to share truth and love so that people can know your son Jesus. It's in his name I pray. And God's people said, Amen. All right, let me give you a little time frame of what's happening. We kind of flash into the Old Testament here in Jeremiah. If you're familiar with Isaiah the prophet, he did uh, preach and prophesy about 60 years earlier than Jeremiah, and mainly to the northern kingdom. And if you don't know a little bit about history, is that uh, after um, Solomon had his great reign, the kingdom was split into two. Okay, there was a northern kingdom they called Israel, which I know is a little bit confusing because we kind of refer to all of God's people in the Old Testament as Israel. But the northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And Israel had gone into captivity. Isaiah talked about that. But here we have Jeremiah who begins his ministry in about 627 B.C. And he is going to be preaching specifically to Judah, the southern kingdom. And he will continue, continue prophesying to them through the fall of Jerusalem, which was in 586 B.C. Now, he served five kings. A couple of those kings were pretty short stints, all right? But some of them were longer than others. Only one king was a good one, and his name was Josiah. You read about him in 2 Kings. Um, it shows his motives, how he was a good king. He actually began his reign at age eight. Imagine an eight-year-old leading a kingdom. I'm sure all he cared about was what, who he's going to play Fortnite with. I mean... What else does an eight-year-old care about, right? And can I have noodles and cucumbers, okay? I, I, I mean, I don't know how he would make 
these kinds of decisions. I'm sure he had lots of people telling him what he should do. But eventually, he would start making decisions for the nation, and at age 26, he sends his secretary named Shaphan to the temple to count the money in the temple to find out how much they had so that they could make repairs of the temple. He had a mind for God, he had a heart for God, and he wanted to make some, some improvements. And so Shaphan was sent, the secretary, and he went and talked to the priest of the temple named Hilkiah. Now you're probably thinking right now, where's he going with this? Well, Hilkiah was Jeremiah's father, okay? Jeremiah the priest. Um, Hilkiah was a priest, and Jeremiah was his son. Well, Hilkiah did his thing. He went looking for the money. How much money do we have here? And it's interesting that you find out in 2 Kings that what did he find besides some money was the book of the law. Their Bible had basically gotten lost. There was no one in the temple that was using the book of the law to teach God's people. Can you imagine that? A nation so bad that there is no word from God. There is, there is nothing that they are hearing. I mean, King Solomon built this temple, and there was the teaching of the word, and there was the sacrifices, and they were worshiping God. How on earth did it get to this point where the book of the law was just missing, totally gone? Hilkiah finds it. Now, one might ask that about America. How do we start this country founded on fathers, patriarchs, really, right, who, who believed in the word of God, who used the word of God as wisdom, as guidance, trusted God? How did we get to this point so many years later? Well, Jeremiah's dad, Hilkiah, finds the book of the law, and Josiah reads it, he hears it, he has a heart for God, there's a revival, and ultimately this is really the best news for the kingdom, but it's short-lived. Because as I said, Jeremiah would preach, uh, would prophesy to Josiah's, and then four more that didn't really listen. Now, I'm sure Hilkiah wanted his son, Jeremiah, to follow in his footsteps. I would love for my son to follow in my footsteps in some areas, all right? And, and maybe he will, maybe he won't. But Jeremiah, I think, probably did want to become a priest, like his dad. However, God had a different plan. And he called him to be a prophet. He called him to be a bullhorn to those in Judah. Now, I said Jeremiah was known as this weeping prophet. He wrote these lamentations. What does lament mean? To lament means to wail, means to weep. And as I said, he wrote five, there's five chapters in Lamentations. Each one of those chapters is a funeral sermon, a dirge, they call it. It's really five sad chapters, weeping for the fall of Jerusalem, poetry, if you will. But I did pick out three verses to share with you from Lamentations because you sang about it this morning in uh, chapter uh, 3, verses 22 through 24. See if he sounds familiar, by the way. Um, verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So you got three choices. We sang three songs this morning. Which one of those songs did we sing about? Great is your faithfulness. And it was the second one called Do It Again. All right, you remember. See, I'm trying to draw that in. We don't just pick random songs, folks. All right, they all tie in here, okay? In fact, the potter's hand, you'll see, really ties in. Jeremiah was perhaps the most 
unsuccessful prophet, as I said. For 40 years, he's this bullhorn. People didn't listen. Give that perspective. What if I preached for 40 years, never baptized one person? What if a missionary goes out in the mission field trying to tell people about Jesus and doesn't see one person become born again as a Christian? I mean, in the time, Jeremiah was not very successful. But I want to point out to you that through Jesus, you will see he was very successful in his ministry. Jeremiah liked to use object lessons, which is why I had to bring this, right? I mean, this, this is the bullhorn, right? I mean, he's the bullhorn. Just to help you remember, next time you see a bullhorn, maybe you'll think, ooh, Jeremiah, I remember that message. That's all I remember, but hey, that's what I remember. <laughs> maybe you'll remember a little bit more. But um, I, I, w- I was laughing with a, a pastor friend of mine. Uh, he, he helps coach uh, our, my, our son's baseball team. Our sons play baseball together. And... Um, we were laughing because when we prepare a message, we realize that statistics say that people only remember 10% of what the guy says, all right, of a speaker says. So I realize you're not hanging on every word I said, and you're forgetting 90% of it, all right? But sometimes when you use object lessons, all right, sometimes people remember a little bit better, all right? And uh, there was one particular time, Jeremiah, in uh, chapter 27, he took a heavy wooden yoke that you would put on an ox to plow the field, and he put it on his shoulders, and he wore that thing and preached the sermon or prophesied to the people. I can't imagine doing that. I took the easy way out. All right, I went with the bullhorn. It's light. It only weighs a couple pounds. I like how Jeremiah begins, and so all those who are pro-life. Jeremiah begins with verse 5, chapter 1. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, and I pointed you to a prophet of the nations. Jeremiah knew God knew him before he was even born, when he was in the womb. King David also said in Psalm 139, verse 13, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, and I love this verse, and I know you do too. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. If you ever struggle with self-worth, I suggest you look in the mirror every single day and repeat Psalm 139, verse 14, because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make junk. He makes special things, and you're one of those special things. Jeremiah was a bullhorn when it mattered to God. These things mattered to God. What will become of a nation that ignores what matters to God? We're about to see in this book. And honestly, what frightens me about America is that it seems that at times God is just allowing us to do what we do, and there's no consequences. You feel that way sometimes? America's just kind of doing what we want to do, and God's just letting it happen, and there's not any consequences. But the truth is, we see in Scripture here that the same thing was happening in Jerusalem. But the time of judgment was closer than they ever thought. And Jeremiah was trying to let them know that. God's patient, but he's not going to let things go. He's going to act. He's going to judge unless we repent. God's people in this book of Jeremiah were murdering their children as an offering to false gods. Can you imagine that 
in a nation that's supposed to be worshiping the one true God and they're murdering their children. It says in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 31, they built these high places in this town in the valley of the son of Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in fire. I did not command that, God said. It doesn't even come into my mind. These people were really sick, right? Seriously messed up. I mean, Jamie and I have spent the last 15 years doing everything we possibly can to keep our kids out of danger, right? I mean, we, you know, you can call us helicopter parents if you want. We don't care. All right, we're going to try to do everything we can to protect our kids, and then these people are murdering them so they can earn favor with fake gods. Now, why would they do that? What was going on? Why, how did things get so messed up? Well, Jeremiah actually answers that question. He directs it to their heart. They're sick. He says in verse 9 of chapter 17, what, do, what, what can we say about the heart? It's deceitful. It deceives us, which is really dangerous if you think about it, when you hear people say, oh, you should follow your heart. Pooh, Jeremiah blows that out of the water right there. The heart's deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God knows the heart of man. He knows your heart. And we can't hide anything from God. By the way, when you ask a person, is man good or is man bad? Right? Most people, I believe in America, will answer that question. I'm sure there's statistics out there on it. But most people, would, the majority would say, we are good. We are good. But Jeremiah teaches us that the heart of man is sick, desperately sick. Now, we need Ezekiel, which we're going to have to wait until next month, all right? But Ezekiel will say that God takes our heart of stone, cuts it out, and gives us a heart of, 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 one, of love, right? A heart that, we'll get to that next month, all right? Jeremiah was instructed to do something that you would find shocking. If somebody, if God told me to do this, I would be shocked, don't pray for the people. I mean, I thought about Moses as soon as I read that because Moses was leading God's people around for, for a long time. His ministry was a long time of leading God's people. And oftentimes they would mess up. Remember the golden calf they built when he went up on the mountain, right? He comes down and then God's going to act on that, right? He's going to give them the consequences and Moses just, boom, breaks down, gets on his knees, prays for these people. He prays for them, he prays for them, he prays for them. Right? And God oftentimes wouldn't give them what they deserve. But here, God preemptively says, nope, don't pray for them. Don't pray for them. He says, verse 14, chapter 11, don't pray for his people. Lift up a cry of prayer or on their behalf. I'm not going to listen when they call to me in their time of trouble. In other words, it's too late. It's too late. I, I've sent prophets. It's just too late. It was bad. Right? And part of the problems was that they were listening to these false prophets. Check this out in Jeremiah 5. Prophets telling the people what they want to hear. And by the way, if you think about it, if you're in a position of where you're kind of known as a prophet, and the king wants to hear some good news, right? then you're going to say what the king wants to hear. You're going to say what the people want to hear. You're going to say what the majority wants to hear. Verse 30 and 31 of chapter 5. Appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. 
The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. What will you do when the end comes? I thought to myself, imagine a nation that has pastors and priests telling people what they want to hear instead of what God's word says. And I know you're sad like I am because you see this happening in our nation today. It's happening right here in St. Clair Shores. It's happening everywhere. Churches are doing just that. And I'm not saying every church, but I'm saying there are churches that are choosing to give people what they want to hear. And a lot of times right now, what do people want? They want to be entertained. And if you go into a church and all you get is entertainment, I wouldn't go back. Because you're not getting what you need. If it walks like a duck, it sounds like a duck, it's a duck. Right? You need to find a Bible-believing church that teaches the Word of God, that helps you get closer to God, that helps you know how to love one another. Jeremiah was instructed to go visit a potter. That's why we sang in the potter's hand. He was instructed to go visit a potter, and he watched him work the clay, and the Word of God came to him through this experience. Chapter 18, verse 6. It was an example to Israel. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now, when Jeremiah told them this prophecy, they weren't particularly happy with Jeremiah. And here you're about to see what happens to a prophet who tells people what God wants to hear. In fact, it's probably what happens to a lot of pastors these days when they preach the truth. They get fired. They get canned. But in this day, Jeremiah, worse, would basically almost die. He would get punished, tortured. In fact, in Jeremiah 38, 6, it says, they took him, they cast him into the cistern, which is a pit or a well, and at the bottom of this kind of dried up well, not totally dried up, was this muck, right? I mean, you, we live in Michigan. We have a lot of lakes. You ever been in a lake where it's all mucky at the bottom, right? And you walk in that muck? All right, imagine him. He's in there. They drop him into this well. In the court, and Jeremiah is let down by the ropes, and there's no water in the cistern, but there's just mud, and he sinks in the mud, and they leave him there to die. That's the plan. We got rid of that guy, who's a bullhorn and won't shut up, and we're putting him in the mud, and we're not letting him out. However, after days of being in the mud, who pulls him out of that miry clay? Who sets his feet upon the rock? I'll let the song at the end of service tell you the answer to that. Another time, there was a priest named Pasher. He beat Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 2. He put him in stocks in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord after he beat him. When you get beaten for doing what the Lord calls you to do, or you get punished, or there's consequences, you can get depressed, especially when you've been doing this for a long time. Jeremiah did face some depression. He says in verse 7, I've become a laughing stock all day long. Everybody mocks me. Whenever I cry out, I shout violence and destruction, Right? I mean, he's sharing the bad news. The word of the Lord has come to me, a reproach. And he's basically saying, I'm getting kind of sick of this, God. <laughs> this is rough. This is hard. But then, verse 9, I love it. I already read it to you. He says, his 
word is like a fire in my bones. I can't help it. I gotta prophesy. I gotta say it. I can't hold it in. And honestly, that's the difference between someone who's called by God and who's collecting a paycheck. Think about it. There are people in ministry. I heard that one time. It was a music guy. No offense to music folks, okay? It was just happened to be a music guy. But I, he made a comment like, well, I'm going over here to this church because they pay me more or something like that. And I just thought to myself, and I wasn't a pastor at the time. This was a long time ago. And I thought to myself, that's why you're doing this? You've got to be called. You've got to be called. That's why anybody who ever says they want to be a leader in the church, I, I would almost say to them what I've heard people say you know, to me. Are you sure there's not anything else you can do? <laughs> because ministry is messy, man. Jeremiah's proof. But if you can't hold it in, you got to do it. You know God is calling you. Then you do it. Because it's the right thing. Jeremiah 26.8. When Jeremiah finished speaking all this, for all this time, that commanded when, uh, to speak to all the people, the priests and the prophets and all the people said to him, basically, you're going to die. <laughs> You're a dead man, right? I told you, he wasn't very successful. People didn't really want to listen to him. But he prophesied that the temple would be destroyed, Jerusalem would be destroyed, and it was. And you should know that there were three waves of exile. So the first time that they went in, they took away. Now, who went in? It was King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Went in, destroyed Jerusalem, took some of the brightest and best of Jerusalem. One of those brightest and best was, anyone? Daniel, that's right. And we already covered Daniel. So Daniel was one of those people that was taken. Now, when this finally happened, right? I mean, he's facing death. He's, he's telling everybody violence and destruction, bad news. You're going to be judged for, for all these years of ignoring God and so on and so forth. When it finally happened, Jerusalem's finally overtaken, don't you think Jeremiah probably got his bullhorn out and said, I told you so. <laughs> I would. <laughs> But I think he was humble. I think he was sad. He was a weeping prophet. Israel in the north is down. Judah now in the south is gone. Right? This great nation that had come out of Israel, as uh, Egypt, as slaves, had gone into the promised land God had provided for them through all those wonderful leaders, is now weaker than ever, dispersed all over. There's really no hope, but Jeremiah gives them hope. He says in 70 years... In 70 years, you will come back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. In the meantime, hang on. I know you're in Babylon. Just go ahead and obey that king for now, but hang on. And then Jeremiah 29 is where we get this famous verse that we all like. Okay, It comes from this, from Jeremiah giving them hope. He says, when 70 years are completed, this is in verse 10, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise. I will bring you back to this place. I know plan, the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You will call upon me and come and pray to me. This is our part, right? This is important. I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I sent you into exile. That was an important bit of hope there. Because fast forward to Daniel being in exile, right? He, he, he shares that. 
If you go to Daniel 9.2, you'll see that in the first reign uh, year of, of, of one of the um, media Persian uh, leaders, Daniel um, looks in the books of the word of the Lord of Jeremiah the prophet, and he says that this must pass. He tells the people, this, this, this has happened for 70 years. So Daniel um, quotes Jeremiah. And I want to finish, now that we can understand Jeremiah and all that he did, I want to show you how and why Jeremiah actually had a very successful ministry. How he is so connected to Jesus, you'll be amazed. If you've never made this connection before, I hope you see it now and I hope you never forget it because it's really, really special. First of all, two prophecies of Jeremiah that speak of the Messiah who is Jesus, the one to come, the anointed one, the one to save the world. The first one is in Jeremiah 23.5, very similar to Isaiah. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. The Messiah is Jesus, the righteous branch, came from the line of David and a king. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, shares all of that, explains that. Here's another prophecy you might be familiar with, especially at Christmas time. Jeremiah 31, 15. Jeremiah said, thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. What happened there? You know what the story, right? The story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, right? The Herod sent the proclamation because of this Messiah that was supposed to be born to kill all the boys, two and under. That's what Jeremiah was prophesying about all those years before it ever happened. When Jesus began his ministry, the people actually thought he was Jeremiah. In fact, it says in um, Matthew 16, 14, Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? Now, they had some other ideas, but they said John the Baptist, maybe, or Elijah, or Jeremiah. Why would they think Jeremiah? And the answer is because Jesus acted like him. He said the same words. Here they are, a few examples. In Jeremiah 7, verse 11, Jeremiah said this hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I, have, I, have, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. And what does Matthew say in verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 13? Jesus' words, what did he call the house, the temple? A den of robbers. You know it. You've read it. He purposely used the words of Jeremiah. Did you know that? Like when he said that, that he was actually quoting Jeremiah? I think that's awesome. Jeremiah 31, 31. Jeremiah says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, people would have thought, what are you talking about? What new covenant? Well, Jesus clarifies that. When he sat down with his disciples in the upper room and he had the Lord's Supper, what does he say to them in Luke 22, 20? After he takes the cup, he passes it to them, and he pours it out, and he says, this is the new covenant of my blood. He was referring to Jeremiah when he said that. Jeremiah wept over Jerusalem 
Chapter 13, verse 17, he says, If you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. He wept over Jerusalem, wept. And if you recall in Luke, Jesus was on that mountain looking over Jerusalem. And what did he do? Luke 19, 41, he drew near, he saw Jerusalem, and he wept over it, just like Jeremiah. Jeremiah used the simile of a lamb. Chapter 11, verse 19, I know you're impressed because I'm a math guy that I actually knew that was a simile. I was like a gentle lamb. That's the giveaway, right? Like a gentle lamb led to the slobber. That's what Jeremiah says. Why would he say that? Well, Jesus was called the Lamb of God by John. Jeremiah, in his time, was not well received by his own people. I think it's safe to say that Jesus was also not well received by his own people. That's the connection between Jeremiah and Jesus. There's others. And I understand, as I thought about this, uh, when will you read Jeremiah again? Probably not for a very long time, right? It's not a book that you're just like, open up the Bible and say, hmm, what do I want to read? What what books do I want to look at today or this week or this month? And Jeremiah is like, bottom of the list, right? I mean, it's 52 chapters of some depressing stuff. However, when you do read it again, maybe you'll remember that Jeremiah was a bullhorn. That's right. He said what needed to be said. He did what needed to be done. In many ways, he was just like Jesus, and Jesus was proud of him because he talked about him. He used his own words. He edified him. But most importantly, I hope that the words of Jeremiah will bring you hope too. Because I know he was speaking to the nation of Israel, but he also speaks to us. He gives us hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, Right? declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. I hope that you will seek God with all your heart. Because that's how you receive those blessings, when you seek God with all your heart. And that happens in lots of different ways. I'm always encouraging you to take your next step with God. What does that look like? Does that mean you need to be baptized? Does that mean you need to... to, um, Pray to God and just simply surrender and say, you know what, God, I've been doing this so long now that, that, that this, this, this life is, is tough enough as it is, and I just need to surrender. I just need forgiveness. I'm tired of walking around with all this guilt and shame, and I just need forgiveness, and I know your son Jesus has forgiven me, and, and I just ask you for forgiveness. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you're being called into ministry. Maybe you're being called to be an elder or a deacon or a pastor, or something like that. Maybe God is calling you to do that. Take the next step. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. God has a plan for you. And don't let anything get in the way of that. I think this pandemic has really, in many ways, opened our eyes to the fact that, you know what, life isn't always just going to go on as usual. It could be done like that. We need to honor God and live for him with purpose. Amen? Amen. I ask uh, Jamie and uh, Bobby to come up and play this last song, and as you hear the song, I hope you remember and think of Jeremiah as he was in that, that miry clay. But let me pray for us as we prepare. God, I pray that you'll use this message in a mighty way, that your Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance 
the words um, that I have said, that, Lord, through this church, we would be a blessing to many, that we could be a bullhorn right here at Ten Mile and Harper, that what most people would hear, that, that people would hear is not so much what we say, but what we do, that we would continue to serve in this community and love people, because that's what people remember, not, not our words, but our actions. I pray we would act, and we would love. We would love our neighbor as ourself. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Would you please stand?